0: Limitless was created in order to inform, educate, entertain, and share stories from within the blind and partially sighted community in order to show the world that the opportunities for those who are blind or partially sighted are truly limitless. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to your host, the executive director and founder of Blind Beginnings, Sean Marcelet. Welcome back to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings
1: podcast. I'm your host, Sean Marseille. We have a special episode today. We haven't done one of these in a while. It's our Ask Abby, and Abby stands for a Blind Beginnings Youth. And I have, I had to do the math there, three. (laughs) How many people do I have with me today? I have three young youth-type people. I I know they're all (laughs) not exactly youth anymore, but more youth than I am. Joining me today, I have Keisha nika and colby welcome back to the podcast ladies
2: oh thank Hi. you thank yeah. you
1: so i've got some questions for you these questions come from anybody and anywhere so people can always email in questions to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca, and we save them up and then whenever we have enough questions, we run an Ask Abby episode, and it's a great way to educate people and get some of those questions answered that you might have about blindness and visual impairment. Okay, so some of the questions, I feel like we might just have one person answer, other questions, you might all have a different answer, so we'll just kind of see how we do here. Number one, how do you read websites? Keisha, how do you read websites?
2: Uh, One of two ways typically uh, either on my computer or on my phone and if it's on my computer I'm using a screen reader software. I'm using NVDA currently, but also JAWS works Um, And uh, on my phone I use I use an iPhone so I use voiceover and um, Yeah, it's also a screen reading software, but for the phone (laughs) Pretty
3: similar with me. I prefer the touchscreen method. So I do most of my kind of internet research on my phone or iPad using voiceover. And it's really easy because I can just scroll with one finger and double click on whatever I need to use. And then I also have a computer. And since I get it through school, then I also I use JAWS on it. Um, and then I also have a MacBook and MacBook, uh, MacBooks also use... <laughs> voiceover which is built in as well.
1: All right, we'll move on to number 2. How do you print braille? Ooh. <laughs> Sorry,
3: <laughs> no question. I'm not very tech savvy on how that works. So I'm going to let one of you take it. So, printing
4: braille, uh there is a couple of ways I can explain this. So, you can use what's called a brailler and there's different types of braillers, so some braillers you would type what you want into into the brailler you would braille out what you're writing and it would come out on your piece of paper as you're brailing it or there's other types called electronic braille where you would do it on your computer and then it would print out in braille um, and in this case it might be a tactile braille or it could be visual braille.
2: And um, in terms of uh, what Colby was saying about the brailler, like the, it's kind of an old fashioned device. It kind of resembles like a a, um, a typewriter, um, if you've ever seen one of those. And uh, so it's, it's kind of big and clunky, but uh, I know, I think I can speak for us. We, I think we've all uh, had experiences with it. Um, for me, I used it a lot for math in school um, and uh, for a lot of other things when I was quite a bit younger. Yeah, so, and then in terms of like when you're, when you're doing braille on like a computer or a braille note taker device, like Colby was describing, um, there is a, a, a machine uh, called an, uh, a braille embosser which is essentially a printer, but it will print out Braille, Um, (laughs) which is kind of cool. But yeah, there's more to it, but that's kind of the gist.
3: It's also very loud and very scary if you're hearing it for the first time.
1: (laughs) The Braille embosser, yeah. Yeah, it's scary. (laughs) Awesome, yeah. So it kind of depends what, how much Braille, right? Like nobody talked about the slate and stylus, which is sort of the... Uh, Real, yes. really old-fashioned like a pencil of braille pen, exactly yeah. I always say pen and paper yeah that
3: I use more for like to-do list kind of stuff like making mm-hmm. a to-do list or schedule and then like the embosser like my school used mostly for like chemistry worksheets and like French worksheets
1: and sometimes bigger like books if, yeah. if books are being printed in braille they'd they'd use an embosser yeah awesome okay Number three, why do canes that people who are blind use have different ends? Well, there's different,
4: there's different types of cane tips because depending on where you're traveling, um, you might want a cane tip that if you're walking in a rough area, like maybe a forest or somewhere that's got lots of bumps and rocks and roots, you want a tip that's nice and big so it's not gonna get stuck in all the dirt and roots and rocks. Or maybe you're just walking on the sidewalk. So in that case, you can use a smaller tip. And it's also um, a personal preference. I think each person will have one that they prefer. Um, Some roll and some don't. Some are better if you're just tapping your cane and some are better if you wanna roll your cane around.
3: I remember in our white cane stories episode, I kind of poked fun at the pencil tip because I really don't like it. And I think Monty kind of explained that that's better for two point touch or like when you're tapping the cane, whereas I do more of the constant contact, like constantly rolling it on the ground. So I prefer the rolling tip for that because I also find the thinner pencil tip gets stuck in cracks. Mm -hmm. nothing
2: like a nothing like a cane getting you right in the gut (laughs) that's right yes
3: (laughs) yeah and i remember when i went to like outdoor camps with school i had like a giant red ball at the end of my cane oh a red ball like
2: the like the jeep of
3: cane tips yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) i had that too
1: awesome okay great answer thank you Okay, number four, how do you learn the location of keys on a keyboard? I'm assuming we're talking about typing, like a computer keyboard, but I guess it could also be a piano keyboard, uh, any kind of keyboard. So how do you figure out which which keys are which?
2: I can remember being um, like when I was uh, probably in my early years, earlier years of elementary school when we were kind of, learning computer stuff um mainly just being being like familiarized with the keyboard with um like the um not uh i remember being heavily discouraged from hunt and peck because that is a fairly visual uh thing to do which is that's when you're just using your two index fingers and you're just going like all over the keyboard uh which a lot of people do do apparently but i was like heavily discouraged from that and told to like Like place my fingers like along the home row of the keyboard, so, um, you know the the one that says, wait, yeah, I don't I don't know how to how would we explain that the one right below the qwerty row. Um, I think people know what the home row is, but it's like
3: the J J and the F are like kind of labeled.
1: Yeah, they have little. Oh, that's
3: it too. Yeah,
2: I kind of forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. It's like for me, it was a case of memorization, but I'm interested to know what you guys think.
3: Similar? I mean, a couple of them, like, the numbers or, like, the function keys, I'll put, like, a couple, like, stickers on just so I don't have to keep counting, like, one, two, three, four. That, too. Yeah. Actually, you want to
2: know a weird, funny story about this? Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> when I was, like, my very first cell phone was uh, one, a flip phone, but it had a tiny little keyboard. I don't know if you guys have seen those. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, and... um And it, uh, that actually really helped me learn the keyboard, uh, for the laptop because it was like, I, I, it was really small and easy to figure out. And then, you know, you're texting up storm to your friends. And then before you know it, you actually, it's transferring over to the keyboard.
1: (laughs) Wow. I way back in my day, we had to, I learned on like typing tutor and it, it literally starts you with f and j and you're just doing like FFF, space JJJ, space fjf space jfj and then it introduces the next two letters I and the next that. yeah okay yes yes
4: so we by the time
1: too. you like you go through that whole program you you know you've memorized a few letters at a time until you've memorized all the letters i always say to yeah. people sighted people aren't supposed to look at the keys they yeah. Just do right, like like your fingers are over top of them. Really, it's not designed for you to look at them. So blind people aren't. We're just typing the proper way. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you you get really familiar with where the keys are, and then you just remember memorize. Can you fall asleep with your eyes open?
2: I certainly cannot.
4: Cannot <laughs> either. Yeah,
2: neither
3: can I.
1: Yeah, me either. And honestly, I don't know because I'm asleep. So
3: <laughs> I mean, also like I, has can, any, I like, a little, can I get a little like scientific here? Sure. So when you're asleep, basically your like kind of nervous system relaxes. So it's actually physically impossible for you to be able to like sleep with your eyes open, like under typical circumstances.
2: Hmm.
3: Interesting. Oh well, that is I was interesting. just
2: I was just thinking about how dry like if you have um if you don't have prosthetics anyway how dry your eyes would get um from just having them open <laughs> like I, I can't do a staring contest for more than a few minutes. That's true. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. When you're traveling, how do you know where you are?
2: Um so it, it really differs for me, on like in different circumstances, sometimes I've practiced a certain route a lot of times. And so I'm quite familiar with where I am just based on landmarks that I've made, like figured out for myself, or, um, then that could be like ta- tactile indicators underfoot or a cane. If you're using that or, or your dog, you know, you, 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 there's certain things they do or it's something that I hear or so landmarks could be a, a a lot of different things um so maybe that so it could be a route that i've practiced a lot like the route to my university or to a friend's house uh or to my own home etc um but sometimes um and then those for me are like the you know i'm probably the most relaxed when i'm going to the places that i've practiced going to but if it's something someplace new um there's a few different ways like i mean i use some um, like the map app on iphone quite a bit to just that kind of helps me figure out where i am also like um you know uh just like if if somebody's like hey there's um can you meet me at this place there's going to be like a grocery store over here so then if i'm if i'm doing that like then and there's supposed to be a grocery store down the block you know on the left side of the block if i'm facing it then maybe i'm like okay I'm listening for shopping carts or something. And that's going to be an indicator that there's a grocery store down there or something like that. Or maybe my dog walks past uh, automatic doors and they whoosh open. And, oh, okay, that's probably a, a, um, you know the grocery store or something like that. Um, sometimes I'll ask people for directions if I don't know exactly where I am. I know the other day I was taking a new bus route that I'd never taken before. and But I knew that I was heading to a part of town where there was this particular... Um, business. And so I said, uh, I asked the driver, hey, is this business on the right side of the street or the left side of the street? And that'll help me orient where I am. And the driver uh, didn't know, but somebody at the back of the bus heard and they knew. (laughs) So they like called down the bus and told me and that actually really helped. But so there's like a few different ways you can kind of approach that sort of thing. And then actually, like sometimes if I'm (laughs) really struggling, like um, I remember one time being like really lost on a trip one time. And I thankfully had cell service. So I FaceTimed one of my friends <laughs> and I was like, what do you see? And then they, they told me what they saw. And I was like, Oh, but anyway, so there's like a lot of different ways to problem solve through that, in my opinion. It's funny. I, I was thinking about,
1: you know, just like familiar roots and just like sighted people probably have landmarks. I remember asking my mom once, like, how do you know when to turn down our back alley to go to our house? And she thought that was a pretty bizarre question because of course she just knows. Right. But I'm like, like, what do you look for? Like, how do you know? <laughs> and there's just things you do automatically, you know, you turn at the yellow house or, you know, whatever. And it's the same for us as just non-visual. So it might be like, oh yeah mm-hmm. there's this pole here or there's a tree that overhangs that I that always kind of like brushes the top of my head as I walk under it or <laughs> there's a, a brick wall until they on prune the... it <laughs> yes yeah. certain times of year that tree hits me in the face actually which I'm not a fan of <laughs> or like you'll hear a bus shelter because it's it's like the, the sort of alcovey sound as you walk by or things like that so
3: Um, I think the thing is I'm great in familiar areas that I've done. And then in unfamiliar areas, I either have to go with an orientation and mobility specialist beforehand, or when I'm with a friend, I always like memorize the route. I kind of joke that Clements, like my honorary O&M instructor, um, he's not qualified, but he's great. And uh, (laughs) yeah, and I just find that like the map app, for example, doesn't tell me like when I should cross or when I should turn. And that's kind of my thing I struggle with with intersections is like, how do I know if I should cross or like turn left? Um, So usually, like I kind of found that certain apps like Microsoft Soundscape or even the seeing eye has a GPS app and it actually will tell you like exactly when to turn and it'll tell you how far you are from an intersection or a street. And I found that really helpful. And I used it when I went to an, the Island a couple of weeks ago. You know,
1: something else <laughs> That's cool. that I do if I have to go somewhere I've never been is um I've had friends that are sighted, look at Google maps or Google earth, or I don't know how they do it, but they can like view the block that i'm going to be w- so you know i know i have to turn left and walk three blocks but it's like part way down the block so they'll be able to tell me well you're going to cross over a couple driveways well exactly how many driveways uh and then you know walk wow. a little bit further and it might be on your right and i've used yeah. that to figure out how to find something and it actually works pretty well
2: that's and smart even- i never thought of that. yeah me yeah.
1: either it so you got to mem. i mean i'm i'm memorizing it so hopefully it's not too complicated um because you don't really want to be like having to read notes (laughs) as you're walking but i do find or when i so i'm old-fashioned i will still call for transit directions and i'll ask the bus driver okay so the address i'm trying to get to you know when i get off the bus am i walking back is that Is that the, you know, what such and such a street. And then do I need to turn left or right or which side of the street am I like, and they'll generally give you some pretty good directions too. Um, But if you want more precise, yeah. Get a friend to look at like, how are you going to be crossing some driveways or how many blocks do you have to walk? That was before there was GPS, (laughs) but I still use those (laughs) next question. Are Apple products easier to use for people who are blind?
0: Well, easier
1: than what? Yeah, I know. I was just thinking that. Are we saying is Apple easier than Android or are we saying is are Apple products easier to use than for blind people than for sighted people? Like,
3: (laughs) I'm not really sure. I mean, like they have the built in kind of voiceover, like we mentioned before. So they're kind of like the automatically basically accessible.
2: I think that what I would say for myself is like, in terms of phones i haven't really spent a lot of time with android so it could it could be yeah. you know, with with some time i could figure it out maybe but i i find the accessibility on iPhones is really good but for me i prefer like a windows pc laptop to uh to a mac
1: i think that android phones also now have built in yes Microsoft equivalent right so now a smartphone is pretty accessible across the board, but Apple was the first to have something. And I would I would say the majority of blind people have chosen Apple, but that might be changing.
3: I think okay. from what I've heard is kind of Android is good if you're really techie and like doing a lot of customization options, mm-hmm. like fancy yes. things that I don't understand. Me too. <laughs>
1: So if you want more details on Apple versus Android, you can actually check out episode 31 of the podcast where we talked at great length about that, uh, specifically in terms of accessibility for people who are blind. All right. Next question. This is a good one. How long does it take (laughs) to learn braille? Is it hard? Double barrel question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you can each answer this question.
3: I can. For me, it's kind of like I compare it to learning print. So whenever uh, in kindergarten, my class would be working on writing or learning letters and numbers, I would be with my vision teacher, and I'd learn Braille. And I kind of learned basically how to write Braille the same time as everyone else learned how to write print. And I learned the different punctuation the same time that we were taught punctuation like the entire class. And then contractions came later in grade one, two, and three. And that's kind of something gradually we started working into our lessons, like with my vision teacher. Um, And for me, it came like pretty naturally, I'd say, just because I wasn't learning. I wasn't learning print at the same time. I learned how to read print when I was three or four because my mom taught me. So I kind of knew like the letter and like grammatical kind of rules, like the very basic bare bones of it.
2: Gosh, I think uh, I have a very similar um, experience to Nika uh, in terms of learning braille. Um, Cause I, I also knew like the basic alphabet in print before I ever came to school. Um, and then when I, you know, I got, I got to school and I had a significant enough visual impairment that my, uh, you know, vision teacher and whatnot were like, yep, that you need to learn Braille. So I I think what I remember, um, right, like early years, like kindergarten, like grade one, probably like kindergarten, I think, was like just simply first being exposed to Braille, like pages of Braille um, being made to like learn how to do finger positioning, how to like um, tracking with like the one, the left finger, left index, and then uh, reading with the, the right hand. Um, and now that's kind of melded into me reading kind of half the page with one hand, half the page with the other. And some people ask me, they're like, are you reading backwards? And I'm like, no, I just <laughs> do half and half. Um, but anyway, uh, so I remember like being exposed to just the, I guess getting used to like, um, computing the tactile bumps with something that I would be reading and, um, and then from there, it was a case of identifying, you know, the difference between the bump configurations, and then, and then it was time to learn the alphabet, and then eventually move into contractions. And I think similar to Nika, like I um, started learning contractions, you know, um, you know, grade probably two into grade three. Um, I think I, I knew most of it by grade three because that's when I was starting to like read chapter books and stuff like that quite uh, rigorously so
4: well for me it's a little bit different so um like you guys in in kindergarten grade one um i learned the alphabet the print alphabet with my class and then um because my vision like uh, i could still see quite a lot um I didn't end up learning the braille alphabet until grade two. And so by that point, I already knew what all the written letters looked like. So I learned the alphabet and just being able to recognize the different letters, um, in braille. And I did that in probably grade two and grade three. And I didn't really learn a lot of contractions and I just mainly learned the alphabet. And then because my vision was quite stable, I never really learned any more braille um, until I started losing more and that was a lot later. So I didn't actually finish learning the braille code until I was in high school. And that's in probably grade 11 is when I went back and um, continued learning all the contractions and the rules and all of what was needed so that I could uh, be able to participate and really read my textbooks and whatnot in school. So for me, it was a little bit different.
1: Colby, because you kind of learned
4: a lot of it later, was it hard? I thought so. Yeah. Right. And I mean, in looking back, I think I learned it all within about a year, but um, it was definitely like a full-time course that Mm -hmm. I was doing on top of all the other academic courses I was doing.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
4: Keisha, I'm curious
1: the way you're describing reading braille with two hands, uh, mm-hmm. because I am a one finger, like the equivalent of hunt and peck for typing is how I read <laughs> braille. <laughs> <I'm the same. laughs> and I numb out the one finger and then I switch to the other one, the other pointer <laughs> finger. Anyways, I'm just curious. Are you reading with a, with multiple fingers on each hand? Oh man. Now I have to
2: think about it. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see. Um, Sometimes I read like because uh, you okay so primarily I'm reading with the index fingers but um, sometimes I think I also incorporate sneak, sneak like some letters under finger the other one <laughs> yeah the little middle <laughs> finger it depends on like how fast I need to absorb this material yeah um, <laughs> that's but cool. uh, yeah so that yeah I think sometimes it's, it's a couple of them. So the one
1: hand, the left hand comes to the middle and the right hand meets it in the middle. And then the left hand is going back to the start of the next line as the right hand is reading the second half of the first line. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of that's exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's very cool. I am definitely not that kind of reader.
4: <laughs> yeah, me too. I read with, I actually read one handed and yeah. I read with my left hand Mostly my pointer, my other fingers come along, but they don't really read very much. Right, And then they go across and then they go down. It's definitely slower, but
1: Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Number nine, do you feel like you relate to people differently because of your blindness?
4: Mm. Wow, Uh that's deep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) I would say that. I can relate to people who have gone through challenges and have to overcome barriers um, a lot easier because I have had to. And I feel like um, I've also had to problem solve. So I feel like you can relate to other people that have to figure out other ways of doing things.
2: I think that like... um... I really like how you answered that Colby. Um, I think, yeah, cause that's, that's very interesting because it depends. Uh, for me, I think it's like, sometimes I don't, I, tr- I try really hard to not always think about the blindness part of my life first. Um, and I think like, yeah, it definitely comes up a lot and it definitely causes a lot of challenges and problem solving opportunities and, Um, also opportunities to do things creatively and um, differently which is cool I mean seeing things differently Um, (laughs) uh, and but um, I also try to relate you know with people just on the level of being human and the level of um, you know activities that we share in common or um, you know things that we're passionate about and, and things like that and I really like try to relate to as many people as possible in, in different ways. because um, I really like to I really like to try to meet people where they're at.
3: I think naturally I also kind of tend to gravitate more towards people who are also blind and visually impaired because they have kind of the lived experience. And then typically I find that people who have maybe other things they're dealing with like maybe they have dealt with racism or maybe like they're you know different because of their sexuality or like gender identity i find i'm more empathetic and i'm very like open-minded i'm not sure how much of that has to do with my disability specifically and how much of that has to do with just that's how my personality is naturally
1: yeah it's interesting I i was thinking about how would i answer this and uh, certainly, there are things like I would have a hard time being able to relate to, like uh maybe the experience of driving in traffic.
0: <laughs> I mean, I know what it's like to yeah. be in
1: traffic as the sighted person, and i'm and when when people are driving and they're being angry at the traffic or at at drivers, I'm sort of like... I have a hard time relating to that because I'm like, but I don't have to be on a bus right now. So and we're comfortable and we're dry and we can listen to the radio and (laughs) eat snacks. And, you know, like there's a lot of benefits to just being in a vehicle in the first place. So it doesn't impact me in the same way. So I don't know. There's just like, there's probably some experiences that people have had that I haven't. And then there's experiences that I've had that they haven't, and they might have trouble relating to me. So, but you're, it's not just about blindness. It's, it's the whole package, right? It's all of your lived experience, but it's really interesting question.
2: That your little um, anecdote about driving made me think about like, uh, I remember sitting with some, uh, some friends and they saw something um you know that when something that was happening in our near vicinity that they were like oh my gosh like you you should be really glad you didn't just see that like that was really off-putting and and it made me think to myself like yeah i guess people with sight like see some off-putting things and they have to just deal with that image now like (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep like gory stuff
1: on tv (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: yeah Yeah. (laughs)
4: I joke sometimes and I'll say, well, I never have to see anything I don't want to
3: see. Yeah, that's so, <laughs> true. Oh, yeah. Like one of my swim coaches and I were joking about that a couple of weeks ago.
1: Okay. This is a, okay. The question is, what do guide dogs do? How do they know where you want to go?
2: Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you can check out our. <laughs> <stuff. to> <laughs> Um, well, there. I mean, all of us who are here can talk about guide dogs to some extent. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, well, for the record, Colby has been a guide dog handler far longer than me and is much wiser. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I have um, been working a dog for a year now, and I hear him clicking by in the hallway right now. Um, anyway, so... Basically, how does a guide dog know where you're going? Well, so the thing that you have to understand about guide dogs is it is not the guide dog's job to do everything and be a machine. Um the the guide dog's job is to listen to you as the handler because you're a team. And when you um Command your dog, who has been specifically trained to, and you've been trained with them at the beginning of your partnership, to understand what the commands that they've been trained to understand and the ways that they've been trained to understand them. Um, So then when you begin to work a guide dog, you are in charge of knowing where you're going. You can't whisper in your dog's ear and say, hey, go to the grocery store. Um, (laughs) And they'll just be like, right on, I know one down the street. Um, you've got to be, you've got to plan the route in your mind, just like you would with a cane or if you're walking or driving your car and, um, and you have to, um, you have to be prepared and you have to know where you're going because essentially you're going to tell your dog things like, you know, go forward, go left, go right. And, um, and they will, their job is to guide you around obstacles so that you don't have an accident or an injury. Um, and they're also in charge of, um, what w- um, stopping when there's traffic and things like that, so that you uh, don't uh, get you know hit by a car or things like that. But it's also up to you to still be paying attention to your surroundings, still be alert, um, because also dogs make mistakes. So that's you your own um, caution is the second line of defense for your like for your well being. Um, so that's essentially how I would describe working with a dog. I think you explained that really well.
4: I've, I think it's quite a mis- mis- misunderstanding about how guide dogs work. Um, I've, I've definitely had people ask me or think that a dog just knows where I want to go and will take me there, and that's not the case. Like Keisha says, it's up to the handler and the team together to be able to get to each place that they want to go together and independently. And so it's just as important for me with using a guide dog to know how to get somewhere as it is if you're using a cane. One of the things that I think
1: is pretty cool that guide dogs do is the sort of disobedience on purpose. I think there's a name for it. So, like, if you yeah, tell so the dog... it's
4: called... Uh, kissy, it, you know?
2: Is it is it called... Um, uh, it's called selective disobedience, or... I, can't uh, I thought it was called, called intelligent disobedience. Yes, yes that's, that's the one. Yes. Intelligent, intelligent disobedience. disobedience.
1: Yes. So, if you tell the dog to go forward and there's an obstacle, a hole in the ground, uh, something in the way,
4: they'll stop. They won't go. And it's also something that they'll train the dogs to do, if you're at a cross crosswalk or a street crossing and there's a car coming in for whatever reason, if you don't hear it or you think it's safe to cross and the car is coming, um, the dog will back up or not cross the street. And it's the same if you're at a subway or a train station and you're getting too close to the train tracks, the dog won't let you get um won't let you walk off the edge where they're not supposed to um for your own safety
1: yeah it's pretty cool okay i like this question what is your favorite thing about being blind
2: oh this is a good one oh (laughs) i like it yeah oh my goodness um I get, I'm not pausing because there's not things. That I actually there are actually a lot of things I've learned to love about being blind. Um, yeah,
3: yeah. It's hard. I can think of a lot of reasons. Um, anywhere from like very deep ones all the way to kind of more surface level ones. But I think one of them would probably be the people I've met. Just because I think if I were sighted, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to kind of be involved in blind beginnings and. People kind of have told me, oh, yeah, but your life would be so much easier. But then the thing is, I value people and relationships more than physically just being able to live my life. And I'm still able to live my life being visually impaired. And I think some of my closest friends are blind and visually impaired. So I think kind of without that, I don't know if I'd ever stumble across them or be able to meet them. And they're amazing people, not because of their like disability, just personality wise. And I don't think I'd ever know them, so mm-hmm. probably that. That's nice. I think for me, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I um,
2: I really agree with, with Nika. Like, um, kind of learning to see people on a on a on a deeper level, like see past the surface level stuff. Which I know sounds kind of cliche, but uh, I find it really is is the case a lot of the time the other thing is like creative problem solving has become like such an and and like problem solving on your feet like what a great skill that we all kind of have no choice but to learn and Mm. then for me the other thing is and I don't know if this is like a personality thing or like but and I think that sighted people um a lot of people know this like they've felt this skill as well or this um you know trait or whatever but being able to, um, like, learning how to reframe um, really uncomfortable or not the best experiences into like learning opportunities and like adventures even um, like of course that's not the case all the time like sometimes I'm like okay I'm I'm done with this all these challenges but sometimes it's like okay this is actually kind of cool and, and um, I just learned something quite valuable today like um, so that's kind of a cool thing yeah well I would have to agree um
4: for me honestly like meeting the people that I've met um and and being able or um not being able I guess to judge them based on surface level appearance and whatnot is really um, great, and I think it's allows me to really meet people and just get to know them for them, and not um, for any other kind of bias. And I just all the opportunities, I guess, I've had if I if I wasn't blind or in the, if I hadn't lost my vision, I wouldn't have the same opportunities that i've had with by beginnings with school with the people i met um i want to have a guide dog
3: um Mm.
4: yeah i think there's a whole lot of great things about being aligned and oftentimes most people don't see those and i think it's important to be able to share and let people know that there's really some great things about being blind
3: mm,
2: i agree
1: it's so you guys are awesome in your very lovely reasons <laughs> i'm gonna be more superficial yes. i
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um honestly the first thing i thought of when i saw the question was a free bus pass like that is very valuable. But anyway, but that's kind of silly. Um, no, I actually really like that. I, I feel like I'm better. How do I say this? My memory is fantastic. My ability to hear, touch, sense, remember, like just all of that. Like I do. It's not a thing that, you know, it's sort of one of those misconceptions that when you're blind, all your other senses are enhanced, but you do have to use them because you don't have the primary sense of vision. So you do learn and 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 strengthen those other senses over over a lifetime of relying on them. So, you know, like I, I feel like I can smell the flowers that other people don't even notice because maybe Mm -hmm. they see them or I can smell that it's going to rain or I can feel something in the air or even just like a little bit of intuitiveness or being able to like feel people's emotions, which I just feel like I'm more in tune with my other senses. And that kind of makes me feel like a superhero sometimes. Um, and the ability to find things in the house that the sighted people can't because I'm using my brain and my memory
2: just like (laughs)
1: gives me such joy.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, and like, I mean, it's pretty neat being able to bring my dog everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh
1: Where do you buy your canes from and are they expensive?
2: Oh lord, what is the name of the place that we buy canes from? I mean, it's Yeah.
1: They're like 60 bucks ish, right? Yeah. Um next question, I don't know if any of you do this. So, how do you read music?
3: Oh, I do actually. Um awesome. there is yes. braille music. And it isn't very common. I only know two other people who read it, and I learned it because my piano teacher was blind. But there is like braille music code and it's not very easy to get braille music produced i know that there's certain computer programs which are beyond my scope of understanding typically what i'd have to do is i'd get my music sent out to a guy in alberta and he would make my braille music for me wow
1: Not super practical. Yeah, just go to the store and buy the piece that you want to learn.
3: Yeah. And the thing is, I used it for choral music and piano music. And piano music, it's fine. But with choral music, I could only have my part because if you were doing a suite of songs and sometimes 11 parts. So if you had 11 parts written out in braille music, it would just be a huge chapter book. Right.
2: Uh, I did learn braille music when I was in when I was in band in middle school, but then I discovered this really amazing thing where you use your fingers to play an instrument and you use your fingers to read braille. <laughs> that's exactly what I was gonna say. So you have to memorize it
1: anyways. Like you you can read it to learn it, but you can't read it while you play in a lot of cases. Yeah, that's the nice thing about
3: choral music, right?
2: True.
1: Well, I got to say, even piano with my vision, like I did read music with my eyes when I was younger, um, but I couldn't play and read at the same time because I could only see one line of music at a time, like the right hand or the left hand, not both. So I would have to memorize it anyway. So it's kind of the same idea. Cool, okay. Our final question. (laughs) It's a funny one, actually. (laughs) Okay, it's a good one to end on. (laughs) What would happen if a guide dog saw a cat? Would they chase it?
4: (laughs) (laughs) That depends on the dog. Yeah. Um, Richard Richard is my guide dog. And um, at the school I got him, they actually have a couple of cats that they have loose in the halls. Um, as distractions for the dogs. And since I've had him, he's never tried to go after a cat, thankfully. Um, <laughs> but there was some dogs when I was there that did try to chase the cats. So yes, <laughs> it depends on your dog. Right.
2: I know, like, um, when, when we're training with our dogs, um, we're trained to – kind of interpret the dog behavior when a distraction is present and that could be a dog distraction. So another dog that that our dog wants to interact with or a human distraction where one of you humans who would don't do this, um, (laughs) who would come up and try to like pet or call or beckon to the dog. Um, and then there's like food distractions and things like that. But I know, um, often like like I've had my guide dog be a little bit distracted by a cat before on harness, actually at the trainings. I went to the same school as Colby, the seeing eye, and they do have those cats and those cats are quite bold and they don't care about a thing. Um, and, uh, my dog did pull like towards the cat on harness, but I just, um, corrected his behavior and then he, uh, went back to being a good boy. But when he's off harness, he's in love, love with cats and he just wants to get right in their face and he wants to hang out with them. But when he's on harness, he knows it's, it's work time. So.
1: <laughs> awesome.
2: <laughs> I don't think my
1: dog chased cats when I had my guide dog, but I don't, I don't know. She was dist- she, she really liked other dogs though. That was
4: more oh, of the issue. Yeah. My dog loves other dogs. <laughs> Well, thank you so
1: much, all of you, for your insight and your wisdom and answering all of these questions. I really appreciate you being here today.
3: Thanks Thanks for for having us.
1: Yeah, and if you have questions, please send an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. We would love to answer your questions in another Ask Abby episode. You've been listening to Limitless, the Blind Beginnings podcast. If you have a question, a comment, a future topic request, please send us an email to limitless at blindbeginnings.ca. Please share a podcast with a friend, like, subscribe, leave us a rating and join us next time.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by Blind Beginnings, an organization based in Vancouver, Canada, that supports children and youth who are blind or partially sighted along with their families. Music for this podcast is composed by Sean Bishop and Clement Chow. Production and audio editing by Rob Minot. For more information about Blind Beginnings and the work it does to support children and youth who are blind and partially sighted, along with their families, visit us on the web at www.blindbeginnings.ca, and also remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time.